Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. It's Mitch Michaels here, as always, the host of this show from the Santa Monica Studios. A real treat on this episode. We're in the week two of the U.S. Open, the 2022 event from Flushing Meadows. The business end is here, and I get to talk to arguably the best and uh, most renowned journalist in the tennis game, John Wertheim gracious with his time first in person chat he's been on this show a few times but he's in santa monica covering the u.s open here for tennis channel we talk about serena's what we think last match the brilliant performance and the loss to isla tamianovich we pay our respects to the legend talk about the women's draw Iga and coco at the top others lurking shift our attention to the men with nadal going for his third slam of the year 23rd in his career medvedev looking to defend his crown and some other players like carlos alcaraz that could be pushing forward as well. John Wertheim here on Tennis Channel Inside and Let's start the show. Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside and on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here from the Santa Monica Studios. U.S. Open start the second week. Pleasure as always to be joined by John Wertheim. You can see him on 60 Minutes, Tennis Channel Live all during the U.S. Open. Uh, first time in person, John. Thanks for coming out and doing this. Thanks for you know getting here on the West Coast. Pleasure. Good to get out here. <laughs> it's East Coast time though, so I know you guys are putting in the hard hard hours before uh, U.S. Open back to kind of the normal feel with everything going on. Um, a lot of a lot of storylines, a lot of stuff to talk about. First, we can start with Serena Williams playing what we all assume is the last match of her legendary career, uh, and as you alluded to a microcosm for her career going out guns blazing. It was uh, very, very good to see and, and something that I think we're going to hold on to for a while, John, the fact that she went out playing competitive tennis, saved all those match points at the end, uh, and ultimately sports evolution, father time, whatever you want to say, that made the difference. Uh, but a tremendous performance, a tremendous last stand for Serena. Yeah, and I think there were some concerns going in. Uh, you know, she'd lost her previous set, six love, and nobody was really sure what this was going to look like and feel like. And I think everybody kind of was hoping she would acquit herself well, and she really did more than that. And I, I mean, you know, there, there are any number of storylines. I think, um, yeah, with the ultimate sort of, sort of the ultimate storybook ending would have been winning the tournament. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I got to say, making it to Friday night session, holiday weekend, as you say, staving off match points, battling. Um, that's pretty good last memory as well. I just think uh, one thing that struck me is six months ago or so, we had Ash Barty retire. And it was like, I'm out of here, no regrets, <laughs> smile on my face. Serena, at least in the immediate time after the match, she was upset she lost. I mean, you yeah, saw that the yeah. handshake and the net, and even when she was interviewed courtside, she said, well, you know, a couple of points here and there, and I wish I would have prepared better for this event. Yeah. She was very much, she did not show up in New York to, like, no. take a bow, Gail King comes out, yeah. and go off into the sunset. She came to win the title. Yeah, and that's what I've always respected and loved the most about her, is just how ferocious she is and how she doesn't 
mail it in ever. And yeah, even in this state where she hadn't played tennis and when she had played, it was not good. Without the reps, it's pretty remarkable that she got as far as she did. And I think it was a fitting tribute, John, in the sense that the match, her last match, assuming so, was competitive. It wasn't what we see with aging athletes in all sports where it's just kind of hard to watch. This was a great way to go out, you know, losing again to the younger player, but showing that same fight that made her who she was. Yeah, tennis is so tough. Individual sports are so yeah. tough, right? So so Albert Pujols, or, you know, pick, pick a team sport athlete. Yeah. And they can get Tom Brady, and you can change the offense, and you can, I'm going to be the designated hitter and not run out to right field every day. You can kind of yeah. dial it back. In tennis, you either win or you lose. And there's no hiding, and there's no kind of downshifting. And it takes, I think, a fair amount of courage to get out there. I mean, she's almost 41 years old. Yeah. Um, I mean, even when she's playing mid-career players, it's 15 years. And for her to go out there and perform like that, beats the number two player in the world, plays doubles, comes back for a Friday night session and plays a, a tough three-set match like that, um, in, in a way, you know, I mean, again, if she, she wins a 24th major and finally ties Margaret Court and yeah. this, this long-avowed goal of hers to win 24 majors, I mean, that would have been the ultimate Hollywood ending. Yeah. But again, I, I think it's pretty fitting. I, I she kind of left the door open, right? I mean, she, she yeah, didn't say like, like it. <laughs> "That's it, see you on the beach." She kind of, sort of, uh, you know, she gave herself an out. Yeah, I, ho- I almost hope she doesn't take it. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. Uh, I think that tennis is such a beautiful game, but it's hard to age in because you don't have yeah. teammates to rely on. You have yeah. to be so fit; it demands so much of you. And I, I do want to. I do want to focus on her comments. We're evolving. I'm gonna. I'm in a different part of my life. She gave herself an out, and we'll see what happens. You've seen her kind of grow up in this sport, and her evolution in front of our eyes, covering her, being on the other side. What's, I guess, a better way to put it would be impressive, and how she's evolved over time and handled all the expectations on her, John, because she's been the dominant force in women's tennis for two decades and pretty much uninterrupted, which is a run that will be hard to match if ever it will be. Yeah, I mean, she had that line that, you know, I feel for the first time since 98, I feel like there isn't a target on my back. And, you know, I mean, I think some of that is these are the stories athletes tell themselves and every athlete tries to position themselves as the underdog. But then you say, wait, 98, that's 24, that's almost a quarter century ago. Um, You know, I mean, this is a complex human being. This is a complicated athlete. The numbers speak for themselves. I think one thing that's really nice about this story is you hear about so many athletes. Some of them are in town, you know, Althea Gibson, who essentially, you know, I mean, she died without any money and they named statutes after her, but it it was not an easy life she had. Even, you know, Steffi Graf, we didn't know what we had until it was gone. You see this in athletes and all sorts of other sports with Serena and, and Venus as well. Very early on, I think, tennis men did fences and vice versa. And in the beginning, it was it was patchy. And whether it was, you know, Indian Wells or Richard and Spy, I mean, there was definitely friction mm-hmm. the first five years or so. And then it really sort of blossomed into sort of this, this is going to sound syrupy, but it's kind of a love story. Mm. And for the last 15 years or so, there was no polarization going on. I mean, anybody that was sort of stuck on that narrative wasn't following tennis. Venus and Serena became very popular among other players. They took their careers seriously. Tennis fans absolutely fell in love with them. Other players, I mean, it really sort of blossomed into a very nice story. And 
for all the times athletes retire and we say, oh, we didn't know the greatness was in front of our eyes. You know, Bill Russell, I mean, just yeah. you see these Bill Russell tributes last month. And a lot of them center on, boy, he had to go Hank Aaron. They had to go through a lot, and yeah. it was too bad they weren't celebrated. That wasn't the case here. I mean, Serena got a send-off like I've never seen, completely <laughs> well-deserved. Yeah. But I think uh, it's it's really, in some ways, a very happy story. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think, you know, again, all credit in the world to Ayla Tamjanovic for how she mm -hmm. handled the moment. And you could see in her admiration for Serena, the lasting legacy for Serena and Venus, of course, to me, is how they grew the game. I mean, you could draw the line with Tiger Woods and, and players that come from non-traditional backgrounds in sports, but she introduced tennis to people that weren't familiar and made more new tennis fans than anyone in my lifetime. I'll I'll uh, I'll keep running with that. I'll push yeah. back. I mean, we all hear about this this mm -hmm. Tiger effect, and this is not yeah. meant to denigrate Tiger Woods, right, right. but I, I do not see a flood. Never mind of, of sort of young black golfers right. who are now bursting through on the PGA Tour, which mm -hmm. is obviously what we have with women's tennis. But I've been, I mean, I think some of Serena's impact, we talk about the Williams effect. I think some of that is not on the field, but it's on the crowd. I mean, yeah. the, the U.S. Open crowd, the people, even on social media, yeah. the people paying attention to tennis, it looks different than it did when they started. I've also been really struck by how many non-American players have talked about being inspired by the Williams sister. I mean, Garbini Muguruza says, I was, I was a poor girl growing up in Venezuela, and my mom looked at Venus and Serena and yeah. said, if they can achieve it, so can you. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard that story before, mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's very reductive, and it's very sort of, I think it's an oversimplification to say, look how many black women there are in the top 100, right. and, and Coco and Sloane Stevens, that's, right. that's great. I mean, no question they were inspired yeah. by Serena, but I think that almost sells them short, because I think there are a lot of, yeah. Players outside the U.S., not just me. Novak Djokovic's parents were pursued by loan sharks. I mean, he yeah, didn't grow yeah. up with a silver spoon. I mean, I think Serena and Venus's inspiration extends way beyond their X many women of color in the right. top 100 now. Look how much they've yeah. achieved. No, I mean, that, that makes sense. I definitely think that they, they grew the game in the sense that they brought people together that wanted to play tennis that didn't really have that sort of, I guess, right. silver spoon background. Uh, and just the final note on Serena, the thing that separates her and the all-time greats, the big three in men's tennis to me, is just how they were able to reinvent themselves and almost have not just sustained runs, but almost separate runs. There was early Serena being the best player, goes through some adversity, comes back. 2015 Serena was arguably the best version ever. Um, being able to chase greatness after you've already achieved it, when it would be so easy to walk away, is what I think is inspiring. I mean, 10 grand slams after 30. That's just, right. that's an insane number. I'll give you one too to, to, to twin with that, which is she did that without a rival, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, she beat all of her rivals Roger out. And yeah, she, I mean, she, she basically smothered yeah. all her rivals. Mm -hmm. I mean, Djokovic and Federer and Nadal will say, each of them made me better. Mm. And I always knew where the bar was. And I always knew what I had to achieve. Serena's biggest rival was probably Margaret Court. I mean, there wasn't that, player pushing her, this barometer of greatness, this Christian Martina. I mean, she did this all in many ways sort of as a, as a self-starter. Well, props again to her. It was a legendary career, and I do love to hear her, you know, understand the appreciation that everyone else has for her. I think it was great right. to just see that as well. So I will be here. Um, the rest of the women's draws, we kind of transition to that. You mentioned on the show today, no champions left in this draw. And the way it's looking right now, you have Igas Fiontech, you have Coco Goff, and then there's kind of a, a gap. Do you see it that way with our final 16? 
I feel like we need to timestamp this because every time you <laughs> yeah, uh, talk talk about someone could make a threat, they're out of the tournament. That's yeah, um, I think, and certainly, you know, the, the betting markets would reflect this. I think it's Iga and Coco, and then there's a bit of a staircase down. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I mean, there, there are no former champions, but there are a lot of credible players. I mean, Daniel Collins <laughs> and Nonster Burr. I mean, you sort of go down the list and yeah. say, oh, yeah, she could win, she could win. Um you know, in some ways, it would be poetic and symbolic if, if Coco had her breakthrough at Serena's last event. In yeah. some ways, you know, Iga Schwantek's been the best player in women's tennis. She's number one. She's yeah. a top seed. It would be nice if she would consolidate this with her, you know, a, a win outside the French Open. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the women's draw is full of full of intrigue. Patrick Vitova's and yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're not right. scratching our heads who are these players, but we are going to have a first-time U.S. Open champion. Right, and not to denigrate any of the women that aren't considered main contenders, I do think that Iga and Coco have earned the right to be considered kind of the front runners in this one, and maybe it's the the mental side of just how impressed I am with how they're able to kind of handle these expectations thrust upon them. Coco being 18 with, with all that she's been kind of put in the microscope and how she's handled it is just unbelievably impressive. And Iga being the top player, I mean, everybody overreacts on anything in sports in general, but she loses a couple matches, like Wimbledon and then shortly thereafter. Right. Seems like she's kind of reset and looks to be doing exactly what she's done to get herself to this point. You know, she, she wins 37 straight matches, goes to Wimbledon as a favorite, doesn't win at Wimbledon, and then, you know, she, she's, she was 4-4. Four and four. So she split her previous eight matches coming into the U.S. Open after this great streak. And then she complains about the tennis balls. And party yeah. is thinking, you know, why are you giving this away to the rest of the field? That the tennis balls are in your head and you're yeah. blaming equipment. And it sort of seems like a little bit of an out. I wonder if, it, I, I don't think it was strategic. I don't, I don't think she went into a press conference saying, gosh darn it, I'm going to really right. take it out on these tennis balls. But I think in a weird way, it may have taken a little pressure off her. And she had sort of cr- created this storyline in a way, it was sort of silly. Like, the, the balls are the balls. Everybody yeah. else has to play with them. Some players agreed with her. Some players punted. It's yeah. fine. But she kind of got it out of her system. Right. And through week one, she's she was terrific. I mean, she's so good on clay that I think that's kind of skewed our expectations yeah. for her on even hardcore, where she'd done well. And everybody loses matches. Like, that's where, you know... Well, right. the, you know, you're going to lose. Even, even Serena had some losses that she'd obviously like to have back. So... Uh, we'll see what ends up happening. Caroline Garcia, I should point out, is the number three favorite as of right now, time-stamped. That's crazy. Time, it is, right, where we were like months ago exactly. with her? Imagine saying that six months ago. <laughs> it's nuts. Um, I think there's some names to kind of consider. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Here with John Worth, I'm on Tennis Channel Insight, and I, I do want to mention Danielle Collins because she's like this this street fighter, and I'm really impressed with how she plays and how she scraps out there. And I I, I almost use the term disruptor in the sense of in the in the in the action on the court, in the sense that she's very passionate. She's she's out there to fight to win it, and 
doesn't care about making friends. And it is a throwback in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm yeah. totally with you. I mean, first of all, you know, she, yeah. she got to the final of the previous major on hard courts, mm-hmm. the Australian Open, obviously. Yeah. And then yeah. the player who beat her isn't playing tennis anymore. So <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. that's pretty good. But no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, Daniel Collins. And, I, and sometimes you say, what, what's the missing element? Even, uh, you know, a, a Naomi Osaka. I mean, you just go down the list. And for so many players, Isla Tamjanovic, wonderful player. You watch mm-hmm. her play and you say, she could be a top 10 talent. Yeah. She's had trouble closing matches. Maybe this big win over Serena, this command performance will change it. But there are players where, and the other players in the locker room know it, some players battle better than others. And some players tend to be self-defeating. And some players really tend to get choky when it's time mm-hmm. to close. And Daniel Collins is none of that. There is unshakable self-belief you always know you're going to get a battle yeah she's not here to make friends she's not here for endorsements she just wins tennis matches and i i'm with you i mean uh this is a a competitive environment and give me someone who competes it it is i keep going back to the pressure thing because when players kind of come out of nowhere rivakina at wimbledon they don't have the expectations put on them till they're known you know, we saw it with like Naomi Osaka, Emma Raducanu. Collins is someone that's been around a little bit. Like you said, made the final of that Australian Open has had issues. She's another player that I, I think we're shocked to see her given the lack of match time, how the draw was Naomi round one. She has openly said she doesn't fear anyone, which is some people can say that, but you can actually see her in putting that into work and when she plays. When you have this fight gene. Yeah. When you're ready to roll up your sleeve, you know, I mean, it, yeah. it has all sorts of, you know, we can whip out the boxing <laughs> analogies, what Mary Carrillo calls it, fangs, but whatever yeah. it is. When you relish the battle, and not all players do, um, things like match play and rhythm, mm-hmm. they almost get supplanted by how much you were willing to fight. And that's one thing about Danielle Collins. I mean, she's, she hasn't hit the biggest ball out there. She's, yeah. she's a terrific athlete. But, I mean, you, you wouldn't watch her practice and say this is a major winner. But... She's a great fighter, and it really has served her well. Are you surprised as well that, I mean, there's tons of storylines here in the U.S. Open on the women's side, but, and I use this loosely, don't want the women to get mad at me, but the old guard coming through as well, Azarenka, Kvitova, some former Grand Slam champions of the past. They don't have U.S. Opens, but Azarenka has played efficient, clean tennis to get here. Kvitova coming through that match with Muguruza was just remarkable. Emma Raducanu beat a veteran player in Cincinnati who's a mother who and beat her so badly you wondered how she was going to fare at the U.S. Open. And I'm not talking about Serena Williams. No. It goes for Azar- I mean, Azarenka, re- I mean, I would say this, you know, I, she, she looked rough in Cincinnati. Was, I mean, this, yeah. is a, this is a nice, nice turnaround for her. She's been to the final three times. It's, it's a little Danielle Collins-like. She yeah. just likes to fight, Azarenka does. That matters a lot. And, uh, you know, Kvitova is one of these players who's always been a bit mystifying at the U.S. Open because she should have better results than she does. She's coming off a final in Cincinnati. She's one of these players who talks openly that New York's really not her thing. Um, and maybe yeah. maybe that's impacted it a little. Yeah. But a big win over Mugu. We're talking another old guard. Um, yeah. You know, she beat Mugu in probably the best women's match of the tournament. And, yeah, I mean, so you've got the first week was all about a woman that turns 41. Coco, as an 18-year-old, is a big story. Iga is a little bit older, and then you have these players like Azarenka and Petra who are north of 30, still a decade younger than Serena, mind you. But, um, you know, you have these players in their early 30s who are also making noise. Very nice kind of 
sprinkling of ages. Well, it's great. The the other name I want to just point out lastly before we go on to the men. There's a player in this draw that hasn't lost the match since July. <laughs> so, <laughs> Samsonova is out oh, there. Oh, on the women's side. Yeah, on the yeah, women's Samsonova. side. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sam, Samsonova yeah. and uh, and Caroline Garcia. That's true, yeah. Are both playing, both double-digit win streaks. It's out of control. And, I mean, talk about odds makers. Uh, Samsonova's not losing a set. Like she's just demolishing everyone. So Isla's got a yeah. tough match there. Yeah. That's the tr- that's the zone where you beat a legend. We see it on the men's side too. See what you got. The following yeah. act is tough. Uh, speaking of legends, as we go to the men's side with with Nadal back in the U.S. Open, hasn't really lost here in a lot of years because he hasn't played. Uh, has yet to lose a match in a Grand Slam that he's taken the court for. He's somebody that obviously is always going to be dangerous in any in every tournament that he's in, best of five, but. Are you watching him play through the lens, John, of I just got to monitor the health and see because he gets more injuries that I've never seen tennis players get, even with the rack in his face. I was going to say, the, yeah. uh, the most recent one, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's got a nose bandage, yeah. which is not something you see often. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's traditionally, the U.S. Open has sort of been one of the tires wear a little thin for him. Mm-hmm. And I think some years he just hasn't been up to it. I mean, a few in, in 2018, I think he, he didn't even finish the tournament Yeah, um, in the latter rounds. But I, you know, I mean, best of five to me is the great differentiator, and he just knows how to win. He can ride out an hour of hot tennis from his opponent, and he knows what's on the line here. I mean, this would give him twenty. This would tie him with Serena. <laughs> yeah. This would, uh, yeah. This would be his twenty-third major. This would move him two ahead of Novak, as you say. I mean, you know, he he wasn't the favorite going in, and yet no. he hasn't lost a match in a major this year. He won the previous major played on hard courts, and he won the U.S. Open the last time he played. It's insane. And if he wins the U.S. Open, it'll be a three-major year. It's only happened one other yeah, time exactly. in his career, right. like 13 years ago or 12 years ago. But it's just it's insane. And best of five, you hit it. Like, he loses the first set, and no one bats an eye right. because we just know We've the physical test and how brutal best of five is. I was thinking of that watching the Paul Rude match where Tommy Paul was playing yeah. great, and it, the fifth set after right. cumulative all these five set matches, the body just broke down. Rafa doesn't necessarily have that in terms of the stamina issues. He's always going to be fighting point to point. And the draw was favorable. Like it wasn't the pitfalls that we've seen in the right. past for some early ones. Love to see Francis give him a match though. Cause this is the guy that's been captivating the uh, American uh, that has been captivating the crowd recently. If Francis Tiafo can give him a match, now this is obviously a, a drastic step up in competition, but You'll have that crowd support, and I think it could be could be pretty good to keep an eye on. Yeah, crowd support will be interesting. It's usually you figure Nadal at the mm-hmm. Open. We we know where yeah. the crowd is going. You know, if, if exactly if Francis and Francis is great, and I don't mean this purely as a compliment. Francis is great at working the crowd. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you showman. saw, and yeah. he's a showman. And yeah. then the third round, I don't know if you saw, this, he he sat in the stands oh, yeah. for a for a stretch. And you know, Francis is another guy who's had some trouble closing. I'm not sure I trust him yet. This match goes, you know, if we're at four all in the right. fifth set against Nadal, I, you know, it would be nice to see Francis sort of break through. This would yeah. be, a, I mean, this would be as I, I can't imagine. I'm just thinking as we speak. I mean, this, this would, I can't imagine Francis would have a bigger win than this. Yeah, it, it, it would definitely be his biggest win. He is, I think it's a fair criticism. He can play with anybody, but there are dips at times in these long matches. Right. Uh, Djokovic, Australia, 2021, I think, 2020. Um, he Even, you know, four Curious sets a few weeks ago, couple right. tie breaks, exactly. just right there. A couple of points here and there. Yeah. A couple of decision making. Yeah. 
Um, you know, he's, he's coming off a few losses this summer, even, you know, Kyrgios in DC mm-hmm. when he's got, uh, when he's got match points, it just seems like he has trouble closing out there. Are, there are a lot of, uh, you know, I'm disappointed, but mm-hmm. a lot of positive takeaways. And at some point you sort of outgrow that. Right. This is one where we would probably have to timestamp because of what's happening later today, but are you surprised or are you reinforcing the belief that Medvedev should or shouldn't have been the favorite coming in? Because, I think we forget how just good he is on hard courts and at this tournament where he's gone, he's won it, he's gone to the final, he's made deep runs, and he's just so efficient. Like that, I keep using that word for him on this surface. Like he doesn't look like he's being tested until these later rounds. I, I picked Alcaraz to win, and I okay. sort of said, well, you know, Medvedev is number one. He's a defending champion. He's only won one title since. He didn't play Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. He had surgery. He was coming out. He lost to Kyrgios. He lost yeah. to Sitsipas in Cincinnati. I'm not feeling it. And then I saw him at, at an event in, in Midtown Manhattan, and he was so comfortable and seemed <laughs> yeah. so cool and just, I mean, it had nothing to do with tennis, but yeah. he seemed to be in such a good space. He's very good socially, and in, uh-huh. I mean, this, I'm really impressed with how he has comported himself. Yeah. And I saw him at this hotel, and I'm thinking, like, this guy's in a really good headspace. I don't know if this will translate to his tennis, but that kind of got me thinking that, you know, you, you go back to an event you've won. You go back to an environment in which you're familiar. I think we sort of forget that, that sometimes players like all of us, you, you like some cities more than others. You like some vibes more than others, some of the rhythms. It doesn't seem to have bothered Medvedev that he's playing these late matches mm-hmm. after three. He just seems really comfortable in New York. And putting that together with his play in week one, I, I think he's back to being the favorite. Yeah, I agree. I think he doesn't easily get rattled, which is... I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's tennis right, can rattle right. you more than any sport just about out there. So he's he's got Kyrgios coming up. We know that that's always an adventure. Uh, I trust Medvedev in this match more than in the past. The best of five, I do think, favors him in this case. Uh, he, Alcaraz isn't a bad pick, though. I mean, <laughs> we thought Brooksby could be a trap, and he just you know came through, won the last five games on the trot, and he's peaking at the right time. And I do think that because you mentioned the – U.S. Open being the tournament where the wheels kind of fall off for some of the veteran players. He's in a prime shape at his age and his physical, you know, attributes to do well here. So last year, Brooksby plays Djokovic. Labor Day weekend, mm-hmm. we're, we're talking now. And you could tell Djokovic, he, he wasn't going to lose to Jensen Brooksby, but the kid rattled him. And he's yeah. a very awkward, uncomfortable game. He plays like no other player. And you wondered, okay, Alcaraz, it's one thing if he's got a standard practice partner type player on the other side of the net. What's he going to happen when he plays with this, this wacky Brooksby and his yeah. slices and his angles? He made straight set work out of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't bother him at all. If Jensen Brooksby's great virtue is he makes the opponent uncomfortable, yeah. Alcaraz looked thoroughly <laughs> comfortable. Yeah. And, um, I mean, to me, that match, I, I didn't think he was going to lose to Jensen Brooksby, but I thought he might make him right. rattled. Not uh, not in the slightest. No, he, it's it, his his headspace is amazing. It's in that Coco Golf mm. portion where they're on the way up and they're just doing all the right things. Uh, this tournament though does have some dangerous players. I thought I thought the Rublev win yesterday kind of went under the radar that he battled from for a five set win. Shapovalov hasn't had right. the best. It's weird since Australia and kind of how that match with Nadal. I don't know if that kind of yeah. pushed him into a different space, but. Rublev's somebody that's dangerous. Berrettini, the draw opened up for him. 
I, I wouldn't go chalk necessarily. We'll see what happens with Nadal's form and, and seeing, but I think that there could be some more upsets on the men's side. Yeah, I'd ke- keep in mind that without Wimbledon points, like who knows what chalk, <laughs> yeah, who knows what chalk right. even looks like now? No, I think Berrettini's a real pick. I mean, he yeah. has become so reliable. He was playing terrifically mm-hmm. heading into Wimbledon, gets COVID and has to, you know, he's a finalist the previous year. And I think that that's a storyline that I think probably didn't get enough attention he would have been a Wimbledon contender and he's looked terrific here yeah. I mean he beat, beat Andy Murray lost one set but then came back really strong to close out the fourth set against Murray um I'm with you Berrettini would be on my on my if you if we say we have this cluster of three Nadal Medvedev and, and Alcaraz yeah um Berrettini would probably be my fourth pick yeah I think that's fair it's, yeah, everybody else hasn't really had the major success that Berrettini has, so I think that's right. still in it, so I think that's fair. Uh, is there anybody, before we, we wrap this up, it's been blessed here with John Wertheim on Tennis Channel Insight, and anybody on the men's side that you're surprised? Obviously, Djokovic not in the tournament, but some of the seeds that got upset that didn't quite make it to even this far. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot. Like, we're, you know, yeah. Sitsipas looked good in uh, that, Cincinnati. I, that was just a mystifying result. That is... Yeah, I, I'm a Sitsipas fan, but it's hard to reconcile. It's like Kyrgios. you got to call out some stuff that you don't agree with. And Cincinnati, he kind of stopped playing for a few points. And yeah. then I, I don't I, – again, I don't want to come down because you don't know what's happening with the coach relationship with his dad. But something's not right. Like right. there is something clearly off because the talent's there and he can play smart tennis. He just isn't right now. Yeah, I mean it's – and then he, he – it's mystifying. I mean <laughs> – if, if you told me he wasn't going to win the U.S. Open, okay. If you told me he was going to lose the first day to a qualifier. and I mean, he he barely showed up for the first hour. One game of the first two sets, yeah, I think. Yeah, you said, oh, he must have tweaked. He ate bad sushi the night before, or he must have yeah. rolled his ankle on the first point of the match. Not really. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, everyone's a little dinged up, and you're, you're right. I think yeah. it's a good point you raise. You never know what's going on, and we... You know, you, you hear later about players who have mystifying performances and you find out there was a, a, a personal mm-hmm. event or there was an injury they were concealing. You always mm-hmm. sort of reserve that. But, um, you know, I, I did not think that uh, – I, I didn't think Felix would lose this early, though he did lose to uh, to Jack Draper, who's a very yeah. talented up-and-coming player. And, um, yeah, I mean, you, you just – it's men's tennis. I think yeah. this is where we're headed. Yeah. And, <laughs> We were very spoiled. I think the, the outlier here is three guys with 20 or more majors. The outlier is not <laughs> seeds losing early. I think we're going to yeah. revert to how uh, tennis used to be. Say, it's like, you know, who always shows up is Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, it's Serena at these majors. Like, we've taken for granted how we can just pencil, exactly. pencil them into the quarterfinals at least every round. But I, I'm with you for the post-tennis run of the big three, a bunch of players with, like, Multiple majors, but not getting to double digits is something I could see. There, there could be a guy to come. Could be one of these guys now. But the stranglehold at the top, how concentrated it is, I think we should all just savor it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so someone will come along eventually, though. They always do. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Well, John Wertheim, this was a blast. Uh, last thing, got to give you uh, a shout-out for the International Tennis Hall of Fame yeah. Award next. I know you're a bashful guy, I know, but getting the Gene Scott Award for communication, uh, fair communication and, and critical communication there. Uh, what's this mean to you? I know this has been a sport that you've had you know, your heart in for a long time, but what's it mean to be honored this weekend coming up? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 great. The fact that it bears Gene's yeah. name is really significant. This is someone I looked up to. And I also think it speaks really well of tennis to give an award for sort of critical analysis. And that, yeah. um, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know a lot of other sports that would do that. I think it's very healthy. I think it do- doesn't mean you dislike tennis. <laughs> you try to be fair. But like any space, it's it's not perfect. And it's, it's nice that there's seems to be some space yeah. carved out for someone who, you know, is, isn't necessarily always throwing <laughs> unicorns and balloons and we call we call out tennis a lot fairly so so i think it's good that they're uh, they're able exactly. to understand that uh but no it's a tremendous honor uh and i know i know you've been you know involved in tennis since way back in the day since michael jordan called you john McEnroe with your racket oh, back then so hey gotta gotta give a shout out too to the books that. and everything as well but pleasure talking tennis with you on tennis channel inside in uh, best of luck with everything. Again, congrats on the uh, ITHF honor. And uh, thanks for coming on. That was fun. Thanks. Thanks, Mitch. All right. Huge thanks to John Wertheim for appearing on this episode of Tennis Channel Inside. And a tremendous honor for him getting the Gene Scott Award. Uh, well deserved. He is uh, one of the nicest guys uh, behind the scenes as well. So very, very lucky to be able to talk to him. Uh, a blast to say the least, talking tennis with John Wertheim. We're on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. Check us out on all your podcast platforms, every single one of them, and keep growing the show. I appreciate every listener and everybody that shows interest in this podcast. And it's been a good one. We got another show coming up in a couple days. We're going double trouble, double action during the U.S. Open. We'll be talking before the finals to get you ready for the main event in Flushing Meadows. For John Wertheim, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon.